Welcome to Surgical Society's Day in the Life podcast. I am Poppy. I'm Amisha. And we're going to take you through a day in the life of numerous healthcare workers. We hope to give you an idea of what a career in healthcare is like from a range of perspectives. And we'll give you tips on applying to medicine, discuss important topics and hopefully inspire you to pursue a career in medicine. We're very excited to introduce today midwife and doctor Rumbi the Medic. Hello, thank you so much for having me. My name is Rumbi. I am currently a foundation year one doctor and prior to becoming a doctor, I studied and worked as a midwife and I'm still a registered midwife. So I'm one of the lucky few people in the world that get to call themselves both a doctor and a midwife. Amazing. So that's kind of like alludes towards your pathway into medicine already. But could you go into more detail about your process of applying? So I, like most young, impressionable 16, 17 year olds, did my A-levels and applied for medicine. So I did A-levels in biology, chemistry, and health and social care. And I did really well in my A-levels. I didn't get any offers for medicine. So I was like, right. What could I do that I really enjoy that suits me as a person and aligns with the reasons that I may have wanted to go into medicine to begin with? And for me, midwifery was the thing. Um, It was phenomenal. So I was lucky enough to get an interview and an offer to study midwifery. I went, it was amazing. It was difficult, but I learned so much and it was so well suited to me as a person. And the fact that it was so well suited to me as a person really solidified for me that I would really enjoy studying medicine and being a doctor. So second year of my degree, I was like, right, I finished next year. Should I apply for medicine again? Should I not? What will I do? And I did apply for medicine, luckily got into medicine and so started studying. So honestly, people that say things happen for a reason, I was never really that into it. But now I still am because having a midwifery degree definitely helped my application into medicine. But second to that, it meant that I was able to pay for my medicine degree because I was working as a midwife. So it just all worked out well for me. That's pretty much the timeline. I think the fact that you've taken quite an alternative route, not getting into medicine the first time, I feel like a lot of people see that as be all and end all. And like if they don't get in, what to do? next and also your course to medicine has been much longer one and I think some people are already kind of a bit intimidated by the fact that medicine is like a five to six year course what would you say to of course people who might deal with some unexpected rejections and how to get around that but also to people that might be a bit you know scared of the prospect of having to embark on this super long journey absolutely so I think the first thing is remembering why why do you do something if you have your reasons of why as you guys would know having done medicine interviews you know they can ask you well you can do this instead and that would still equal the same thing so if you look at your why that can give you a focus of okay I'm working towards this because these are my reasons why you know just something to keep you motivated and also in terms of dealing with rejection it can be quite challenging and So I grew up playing sport. I used to play lots and lots of tennis. And when I was younger, I would get so frustrated when I lost a match, like really, really like, ah, how could I lose? And then 
as you go throughout, you know, you win some and you lose some and all you can do is your best. So I think that also helped just my way of thinking. And I would recommend that for everyone, you know, you're never going to win at everything. All you can do is try your best. And a lot of the time by trying your best, the opportunities open up, but it might take more time than someone else. It might take less time and everyone's journey is different also. And then in terms of thinking about embarking on a long journey, time is still going. Whether or not you're applying or studying, whatever course it is, you're still getting older, matter. And I honestly think comparison is the thief of joy. At some point I was like, oh my gosh, all my friends that like graduated uni when I did are like this much into their jobs now and they're buying houses and they're doing this and I'm still a medical student, what is going on? But it doesn't matter because like I say, everyone's path and journey is different. And I am here where I am. I'm really happy with where I am. And I think my journey's just made it so much better for me. That's that's what I would say. Yeah. Just holding on to that why factor, because I feel like even in medical school, once you're in, it's still so crucial to like hold on to that kind of why am I doing this and using that almost as what you focus on especially when things get particularly tough what was your why factor was it rooted in an actual reason or was it more just why you wanted to get involved in something like this what really was it for you I think that's a really good question and also very personal there's various whys for me some really close to my heart and others more so I'm a stubborn person and I had it that I wanted this. I wanted to work in healthcare. And if I went forward and maybe didn't get into medicine on my second application, I would want to be in a position in midwifery where I can affect change and positively affect the care of others. But there were definitely other whys that are so personal to me and I just feel you know, those strong things that you have and uh, they just keep you going. Those those are my, in my heart wise. I think that's amazing. And I think everyone, well, a lot of people that do go into medicine have that really personal reason that that really drives them to do medicine. In terms of the stubbornness that you talked about, I think in my experience, I feel like a lot of women studying medicine or like trying to become, become doctors kind of have a lot of doubt and they feel a lot of imposter syndrome or maybe they express it more than men do. When we fail an exam or we don't do as well as we want to do, it's that stubbornness that keeps us through that says like, we, I want to do this and I can do this and I can continue to do this. And what would you say to medical students or even people applying to medicine at that stage now? I was actually watching TikTok before we started this and a Jackie Aina TikTok came up and it was saying, you know, we're always told to be humble, but why? You know, we all have so many achievements and sometimes the whole, oh yes, I know. Uh, okay. I know I got a good grade, but uh, you know, that trying to be humble, sometimes you need to big yourself up because when things don't go right, for example, when you fail that exam, you can say, okay, but last time it was still the same me who did this or, you know, who 
did two SSCs or, and then did this and then also volunteered whilst doing my A-levels. That was still me. So although this is a blip, I have it in me to do all of that so I can channel all of that to go forward. I don't know. I feel like that whole humbleness is really geared towards women. Men don't have to be humble. So for us to, to remember that we also don't necessarily have to be humble with ourselves and our achievements because when things don't go right you need that backing that self-confidence to say actually I've done this before I failed an exam before and I've gone forward and passed the second time so I can do it again that type of you know self-confidence and self booster do you guys have any tips in terms of what you would say to yourselves in similar situations well I think personally I get to that stage a lot I'm in medical school I feel that a lot and like I can't do this or I'm not good enough or I'm not as good as other people and I think I've got to the point where I need to tell myself that I'm sick. I need to believe that I'm the greatest. Like everyone else around you is gonna wanna succeed as well. And everyone is going to want to be the best. And so no one can believe it with as much as conviction as you can for yourself. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Most definitely, I think I'd say the same thing. And I feel like, especially what you touched on about women in general having this idea that, that you have to be too humble you kind of have to retract yourself and I guess you might say your great achievement while also maybe saying oh no but I recognize that I've done this and this to get there or that like you just feel like you might have to add that explanation to everything and it gives other people kind of something to look up to as well like just hearing that from different women what they've achieved and what they've done I feel as a young person looking up to that is like such an amazing thing I agree with that completely so going back to being a midwife um I think a common interview question that a lot of people applying to med uh, medicine might get is why do you want to apply to medicine why don't you want to be a nurse midwife healthcare assistant because you say you love patient contact you say you love science so why not any of those other professions and you having had experience proper experience in both fields why did you want to do medicine and be a doctor rather than continue as a midwife you make a difference but in slightly different ways so for example I worked as a MBA and I thoroughly enjoyed it it was one of my favorite things because you provide the most intimate care for people that can't do for themselves so for example washes um I could see sit and like help people to eat those things are so fulfilling and make such a difference so I'm even getting emotional because I don't think that makes more of a difference than prescribing a medication for example but that's a difference to one particular person at a time and then in terms of nursing I can't speak on per se as I've never been a nurse but they do so, so, so much. Like our nurses are amazing. In my current ward at the moment and the ward that I was on previously, you just see them go above and beyond, especially now that families can't visit. So they're running around trying to get portable phones so that people can speak to their families, giving families very detailed updates that as doctors we just aren't privy to I can tell you about the management and the medical plans and all these things 
but just about how her overall day has gone, the nurse is looking after that particular patient and will be able to give those updates. And also what you find is as you go higher up into management in the hospital structure, the nurses really run the show. Looking into maybe why not these particular types of things and medicine instead, I think it's the the type of difference you want to make. So as a midwife on labor ward, I looked after one woman at a time. As a midwife on the postnatal ward, I looked after maybe four or five women at a time. As a F1, I'm looking after on my current ward, a minimum of 25 patients. On my previous ward, up teen number of patients. So that's a wider, you know, you're seeing more people in theory can make a little bit of impact on a wider number of people versus when I was in that labor room, my impact was for that one woman and her birthing partner and really giving everything in that interaction. So it's a little bit different, but very similar. So yeah, you briefly touched on just what your experience is now. What does a typical day in the life look for you? Yes. So my current job, I'm super lucky because I start at nine, whereas my previous job, I started at eight and the difference between eight and nine. Oh my God. (laughs) I have breakfast in the morning now. Sometimes I do like a little morning stretch, whereas before that just wasn't happening. I was just trying to get to work at 8 a.m. So I'll usually wake up, do a stretch if I have time. If I don't have time, then shower, eat, get ready and go. My work day starts at nine. I usually get to work about 8.55, change into scrubs as quickly as possible and have to literally be sat down in the morning meeting by 9 a.m. Because um, so by morning meeting, it's like an MDT with Myself as the ward doctor, the lead nurse for the ward that day, the physio, the occupational therapist, and the discharge coordinator. So I can't not be there at nine o'clock and sat down and ready because they will all be there (laughs) and ready. So that takes about 30 minutes every morning. Different doctor jobs have different setups. So my previous job, we worked on a surgical unit with multiple wards on the surgical unit was now I work in a very niche hospital and I am the ward doctor for that particular ward so I'm ward based I don't go to any other wards I just mind my wards business (laughs) and I'm really enjoying it because you really do get to know your patients whereas when you're on a unit um, as part of a team of doctors on that unit we were looking after so many patients that it's sometimes difficult to get to know them on a more personal level. So after the morning meeting, it's ward round time and three times a week, it's senior ward round. So either registrar or consultant ward round and then twice a week, it's Rumpy ward round. So they get a FY1 ward round, which initially I was like, oh my God, this is so daunting. What am I doing for these patients or whatever? But Once you've watched a few senior ward rounds, you kind of get into the hang of, okay, these are the must things I must look out for, must ask these questions, must examine these things. And you just get into your own flow and your own rhythm. And I love it because when my my seniors are rounding, all I'm doing is just writing notes and listening. 
But when it's my ward round, I get to interact with the patients. I get to ask them questions and like, you know, that human to human interaction, which as kind of the note taker on a senior ward round, you don't necessarily get. So after ward round, I would usually catch up with my registrar and go through all the patients and then say, yes, again, Mrs. X in room one is fine. Uh, and then they would ask me questions like, how are her bloods? How are her obs? Um, those things that we changed yesterday, what has happened with that? And they give an, they give an overview and kind of a second opinion they might suggest further investigation. So for example, I might see someone and, and then say to them, oh, she was okay, but she was complaining of X, Y, Z. What, what should we do? And then they'll say, okay, order this, then request that and speak to so-and-so. I try and have like a protected lunchtime. It is so much easier in this job that I'm doing now as the ward doctor than it was in my previous job. So um depending on what time my ward round finishes, I uh, usually have lunch, let's say half one to two or there, thereabouts, lunchtime-ish, lunchtime time. And then after lunch is when I try and just power through all the jobs. So anything that's come up in the ward round, we just get it done. Um, I try to be preemptive with my discharge letters. So that morning meeting is really useful because the physio can say, okay, so-and-so is going to be ready for discharge today or tomorrow. So then I know which discharge letters to, to kind of prep and get ahead of. So I'm not getting cold saying, oh, so-and-so's going now and there's no letter, there's no meds, TTO, you need to do it now. You know, so I tend to get ahead of the game that way. And then around about 4, 4.30, we do another run through of the list just to make sure all the jobs are done. Check all the blood results. So the blood results that were ordered in the morning, um, some may not be back until late in the afternoon. So to check those and action them if need be, and then um, request blood tests for the next day. So lucky in this particular job, we have phlebotomists that come every single day. Oh my God. So I just request bloods and then miraculously in the morning, a magic phlebotomy fairy comes and takes all the bloods for me. It's amazing. And then it's usually home time by about five o'clock. I go home, eat my dinner, do all the other stuff like portfolio, any particular projects I'm working on, scroll, TikTok endlessly, and then rinse and it's repeat for the next day. So yeah, that's like a typical average day for me right now. That sounds really interesting. In terms of being a midwife and also kind of race, I feel like there's been a lot of things in the media like recently to do with disparities in um, BME communities and outcomes for mothers or expectant mothers. What has been your experience in this kind of area and how do you feel about maternal health in general? And embrace so it's like this type of report which looks at maternal mortality and morbidity in the UK and um, they released a report and it said that black women were five times more likely to die during childbirth five times than their white counterparts and when you see statistics like that it's like oh my god what is going on you know five times more likely that's a that's huge insane so in terms of my own practice 
I can't say that I particularly saw any huge disparities or any massive differences in in how mums were treated or any differences in how mums were treated based on ethnicity. But there has to be something in the system that's causing such a huge, huge, huge (laughs) disparity like that. And I think the real way to get to it is detailed research and also health provision. One size does not fit all. So looking at different ways to cater the health service and the care that women or childbearing people receive best suited to them, you know? And I think where there's so many questions, no one answer will reveal or expose the cause of it all. But the fact that I can say this statistic and you guys can hear it, and whoever else is listening to this podcast will hear the statistic, Black women are five times more likely to die during childbirth. Just puts a little seed in their minds. The next time they're in a hospital or looking after a patient, doesn't have to be in labor or around childbirth, they can be like, ding, 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 is there something I can tailor or do differently to make sure that this person is not adversely affected from their health condition just because of their ethnicity. So yeah, just exposure, you know, informing people of this and get making it known could also make a, a difference. Yeah, I think even just what you were saying about how in your own experience, it's not exactly like you walk into your workplace and see it with your own eyes. And I think sometimes that's what makes it the scariest thing, just the fact that some of these issues are so ingrained in our healthcare system that you might not even really understand the horrible realities. Because, I mean, even listening to that statistic is horrifying. In terms of tackling these health disparities, do you look at it as a responsibility that medical students or anyone delivering care to make a conscious effort to understand and be cognizant to these issues or more of a wider problem looking into medical curricula because, of course, how medicine is taught and the culture within the profession plays such a large role in how we then go on to deliver patient care? Um, I'll start with the individual. I think we all have some individual responsibility to kind of open ourselves more to different things. Now, that doesn't mean go and read about every single ethnic group and their specific things that may affect them, may not affect them, you know. Just expose yourself more. For example, the internet is a great resource. There is, I'm sure you guys have heard of, Find the Gap Dermatological Images. Now, a second-year medical student made that, you know, and it makes such a difference just to see, okay, so this is what eczema looks like. Okay, Okay, so this is what psoriasis looks like on black or brown skin, whereas your textbooks might not make that available to you. So that's something that's easily accessible and will take a small amount of your time. However, aside from individual responsibilities, definitely our medical schools need to do more. And that could just be, again, adding a different image in the slideshow, um, adding, we were talking about sickle cell, actually myself and some colleagues were talking about sickle cell disease and 
one of my colleagues who went to uni in George's was like, yeah, yeah, we did loads on sickle cell. And then I was thinking back and I was like, hmm, my hematology placement was very much about like leukemias, lymphoma, things like that. I don't quite remember sickle cell being mentioned as a big feature. So trying to standardize, like medical education is sort of standardized, but not really. There's a lot of, the unis have a lot of leeway about what they can focus on or not focus on so much, but standardizing exposure to different things. Following on from that, I think the textbooks and who writes the textbooks? Like, I don't know, who are the stakeholders? Because if Kuma and Clark is just showing me Caucasian, 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 and I'm not seeing anything else, and that's, that's a textbook this big, and that's a resource that's being used, not just here for us in the UK, but I'm sure if I go to a medical school in Grenada, they also have Kuma and Clark. In South Africa, I'm sure they also have Kuma and Clark. Just diversifying it also. So I don't, it's so wide, but we all as individuals do have responsibility, but you can only do so much because you're one person. And what I would say though, for you guys as medical students is you are fresh eyes. So when you walk onto a ward environment, you're, you're not in the systems and you're not in the way of how they work. So you're a fresh pair of eyes. If you're going on ward round and someone doesn't speak English and they're like, oh, oh, hello, you know, it can be difficult sometimes, but that might be the time to say, oh, in my last placement, they use language line. Do you guys have language line? Just little things like that, that may seem that one sentence could prompt someone to be like, oh yes, we do, uh, let me go get it and changes the whole consultation for that patient. So you guys are fresh eyes and you guys are so perfectly placed, like, and don't worry too much about you mentioning language line and thinking, oh no, now the consultant's gonna think I, I challenge them or this. Cause you have the protection of your medical school first and foremost. And secondly, you can leave. You can be like, okay, thanks. Next rotation starts in two weeks, bye. <laughs> yeah, I think that's very true. And what about your plans for the future? What do you wanna do? Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> um, it's all very, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I really, in terms of specialty wise, I love the idea of obs and gynae. Just love it. We'll see as I get more exposure to different jobs and different specialties that might mold and change. In terms of outside of medicine, I want to live my best life. I want to do enjoyments especially when COVID ends. I feel like last year and this year have just been paused. We're just going to forget that 2020 ever happened. Uh, so everything I wanted to do, I'll just go to festivals. I still have tickets to festivals that I didn't go to last year that are definitely not going to happen this year. So hopefully next year and try and build just a full, happy, enjoyable, fulfilling life, not just around work, but in general, as a whole. Just following on from that, what are things that you just love to do? Like aside from medicine, aside from midwifery, aside from obviously all your like incredible work? Yes, so I love 
dancing and tiktok has made it so much more fun i'm learning tiktok dances like endlessly just (laughs) really enjoyable so i do love that I enjoy walking and that's now only because of lockdown. So I moved to where I live now during lockdown, like started working during lockdown and you couldn't really go see people. You can really meet with people or but you could go for walks. And then I started walking and I was like, this is actually not bad. Um, and then you find yourself two hours later, somewhere completely different and like oh wow this is a nice place having just walked there um I think that's awesome I would highly highly recommend walking but probably when the weather is better and then there's the standard things like YouTube I spend hours on YouTube um just watching very various videos but that's out there that's that's the type of stuff that I enjoy so when you were working as a midwife you were doing your medical degree as well right yeah so that would have been crazy like how did you how did you deal with that much like workload like I'm struggling with med school like as it is um I think again it's I don't know if it's person dependent or whatever situation you find yourself in you will cope you might not think you can but once you once you're in that situation I promise you you will just make it work and yeah like there's people that do 200 things and they still have time in their day to go pick up their kids from school and um, go cook dinner and do xyz so 24 hours in a day is a lot and sometimes when you've got only a little bit amount of time you might become more efficient at using that time that you have so yeah, no, honestly, whatever situation you find yourself in, ultimately you're going to find a way to pull through it and just make it work. We could probably carry on asking you questions definitely for the rest of the day. But yeah, we just wanted to say thank you so much for joining us on this podcast. And I think we've gained a real insight into just your life and you as a person and what you do and yeah just how incredible it all is and I know this podcast will definitely be helpful to so many people just kind of getting that insight into your world thank you for having me this has been great I've enjoyed this discussion thank you thank you for listening to this episode with Rumbi for more on her life and journey into medicine you can find her on instagram and youtube at at roombethemedic that's all for today see you guys next week bye